Recently on the internet, I got uh, hooked by the title, The 30 Most Boring Jobs in the World. <laughs> in case you're wondering if your job is on there, uh, it's probably not. Uh, the list included jobs like sign holder, stand out by the road, $5 footlongs, everything must go. That's not that interesting, okay? <laughs> but the list, this is one of my favorites on the list, pork scratching spotter. Pork scratching spotter, I had no idea what that person does. But uh, the list explained, for five days a week and eight hours a day, you ensure no hairy pork scratchings make it into the package. That's it. <laughs> I hope you all have much more enjoyable daily work than that. But no matter how good we have jobs or things to fill our days, there are days, aren't there, where it feels a little slow, a little boring, a little routine, come on, be honest, a little limited, a little confining, whatever. Maybe you feel a little passed over. And on those days, it is so good to know that as Christians, we have something much better to look forward to. We really do. And we've been doing that the last week and this and one more week to go. And it is true that this constant prayer, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is already in heaven. Let that happen. That will happen. That prayer will be answered to the full. And we know that when God's kingdom does come, the painful parts of work will be taken away. But will we still work at all? And if we do, what jobs will we be doing? I actually want to ask that seriously because I think it opens up for us a whole new way to look at what life will be like when Jesus Christ returns. And I think the answer will actually surprise you a bit. And as is so often the case, the answer will directly affect how you and I live right now. Once you know, you start with the end in mind, once you know where you're going, it really changes how you get ready for it. Now, here's what we know about the future, in case you missed last week. Jesus, who spent years on earth, will return right here, on earth. He will re the whole earth will be renewed. Creation will no longer be suffering the way it is now. And you and I will be given bodies that are like Jesus's resurrection body. Which, if you remember his body, it was very recognizably his, and yet it was somehow different. It was glorious. It was immortal. It would never die again. And God will be constantly present to us in an unfiltered way. I can't imagine that. So in that new world, what jobs will there be? Well, John has this vision in Revelation 21 that you heard tonight, and it gives us an idea. If you look toward the end of that passage John says I saw no temple in the city the holy city that has just come down from God meaning which is a symbol of heaven uniting with earth for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple and the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light now watch this the nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory 
And then skipping just a bit, all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Now let's pause there and notice a few things. First, when Christ returns, notice we will still have all the nations. Meaning, people from distinct, recognizable cultures. Yeah, Asian men, African women, grandmas who are Latino, babies that are Anglo, and on and on and on. All those created differences will continue just without the bigotry, without the hatred. And then all these different people groups will bring their glory and honor into the city. Well, John's saying, first of all, there are people from all over the world will worship God. All these different cultures will worship God. They'll bring their glory and honor as worship to God. And yet, what does that mean that they'll bring their glory and honor to God? Most scholars think it means the same thing that it meant when people brought their tribute to a king in the Old Testament era. It means they will bring their art, their clothing, the most beautiful things that their culture creates, the foods they cook, the music and songs that they sing, the best of their culture to honor God. And finally, notice that John sees kings of the world, meaning there are still going to be leaders, meaning there were still going to be followers. There's going to be governance. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but this is a very different picture than I was first taught as a believer and that I think most Christians imagine. It's much more active. It's much more like celebrating the goodness of human existence. As Sky Jatani put it, any vision of eternity as a never-ending worship service is completely wrong. When heaven and earth are one, we will still create art, music, literature. It'll be the world God always intended from the beginning, a world where we fill the earth and create cultures and partner with God as his representatives. Now, if this is true, it means that there will be work at its best. The big difference will be this. John says nothing evil will be allowed to enter. So in the kingdom of God, we're going to have all the best parts of work, that sense of accomplishment, that sense of creativity, that moment where you're in the zone and you're doing something, whether you get paid for it or not, where you just come alive because you're supposed to be doing it. That will be there. But gone will be all the bad qualities about work most of which are really about people who make work a pain. <laughs> okay, over the years, I've interviewed way over, I don't know what the count is, but it's way over 100 people for job openings. And my starter question is usually, in your current job, what do you like the most and what do you not like? And I'm telling you, when you get to the what do you not like, so often people will just start to, it's like a therapy session talking about <laughs> bad bosses, right? The one who calls them at home on Saturday night because, hey, I'm working and shouldn't everybody on the team be? You know, the, the boss who pits one employee against another. And you don't even know there's a secret like race or competition going on. The one who takes credit for the ideas you just had, <laughs> you know? Uh, the one who, 
this used to really kill me. The bosses who, when their employee has sort of outgrown that current role and is wanting a new challenge, which means they'll probably have to transfer to another department to get it, will not let them transfer, won't sign off on the transfer because they'll lose a good worker and they don't want to do that. I mean, sometimes I wanted to hire people out of sheer mercy <laughs> to get them out of their situation. And, and I, came, I came to think of this sort of maxim, I guess, no matter how much you like a job, it can be ruined by a bad boss. And no matter how much you don't like a job, it can be made bearable by a good boss. So the bottom line for us is that when Christ returns, work will not be removed. Bosses will not be removed. They'll be improved. Oh, feeling it. Okay. <laughs> now, listen to what Jesus tells his followers tonight in Luke. Luke 22, verse 28. He says, You all have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus looks at these very ordinary people around the table, people who sweat, people with acne, people who haul in dragnets, people who manage the books, all, all, and, and he looks at them and he says, you will sit on thrones. You'll be given authority. Decision-making authority is astonishing. Now, whenever Jesus says something to the 12 apostles, we have to sort of pause and say, is he saying it to the 12 apostles as apostles, and so it's only for them, or is he saying it to the apostles as believers, so it's true for all believers? Well, thankfully, we know the answer to that question, and the reason we know it for sure is, I don't know whether to say thankfully, in one early church, this, the one in the city of Corinth, some people in the church were suing other people in the church. And so Paul, who started the church, had to settle the dispute for them and kind of help them out with that, and so he wrote them in 1 Corinthians 6, the other reading you heard tonight, when one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you? How dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to believers? And here's why he says that. Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? Not just the apostles, all believers. And Paul goes on, he actually adds. He says, since you're gonna judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize we will judge angels? So you should be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. It's like we might say to freshman students in law school. It's like, hey, some of you are going to be magistrates. Some of you are going to be judges. Some of you are going to be arbitrators. And you can't settle who owns the sofa? You know, that's, that's where Paul is. But the point is, we will judge the world and we will judge angels. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> Well, here's what I think we can safely say. In the Hebrew Scriptures, which of course utterly saturate Jesus and Paul, there are what are called judges. There's even a book about some of them. 
And the judge, in our sort of way of thinking, would be like part military officer, part state governor, and part federal court judge, kind of rolled into one. They have this, maybe part bishop, they have authority, and this authority is given to them to decide, to protect people, to help people. So in the future kingdom, believers will actually be doing work like that. Now, what, so what? I mean, what does it matter that this will happen and that we will be given authority with Christ to serve on behalf of Christ? Well, let me put it this way. Whenever I hired somebody at CT, Christianity Today, the position had qualifications. And when it was an editorial position, the qualifications always included at least three years editorial experience. So we're not going to look at you until you have that. Okay. And then the person had to have a college degree. And often, depending on the position, the master's degree. Okay, so if a college student on career day ever asked me, I... I want to have that job someday. I would say, finish your degree and start getting editorial experience. Work on a blog. Work on the college paper. Work on your church newsletter. And the same thing, friends, is true for the jobs that Jesus wants us to have when he returns. Given the responsibility that we will carry, there are qualifications, though. There are skills that we need to develop now in order to lead well then. So what are those qualifications? Well, in tonight's gospel reading, Jesus gives us two. And the first one, we see as starting in verse 24. The apostles began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. They know Jesus is coming into his kingdom, and they want to be in the best spots. They want to be on the cabinet, for sure. And I can imagine Peter saying, Look, guys, we can just end this debate right here and now, right? Jesus said, I'm the rock. He said he's going to build the church on me. Like, is there really any room for debate? And they go, yes, and Jesus called you Satan. Okay? And Andrew's like, you wouldn't have even met Jesus if I hadn't told you about him. So Jesus has to tell them, in effect, look, you're not getting how my kingdom works, so you're not yet ready to lead in my kingdom. In this world, he says, the kings and great men lorded over people. Among you, that's not going to happen. It's going to be different. Those who are the greatest should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. So Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, here's the qualification, proven experience in serving others. Your, your resume should show sacrifice on behalf of others. Your track record should say humility. What Jesus is getting at is which way is the serving, service arrow pointed in, you, in your mind and heart? Are you waiting for everybody else to think of you, help you, serve you, or are you there for them? A friend of mine, JR, was recently flying home from Denver and he was walking down the jet bridge, and it was a slow line kind of backed up as people were trying to get into the plane. 
and he could hear somebody from way up near the plane saying something, like talking to people, and like it was like, hey, I, I like your sweater, that looks warm, or, oh, I see you got your soccer jersey on, Were, did you have a tournament this weekend? You know, stuff like that, like, hello, ma'am, good afternoon, or, hey, little buddy, give me a, give me a fist bump. So, JR's trying to figure out, I've never heard this on a jet bridge, is this like some <laughs> baggage handler who's like super friendly? <laughs> what is going on? And when he got closer, he realized, it's the captain. And JR said, look, I fly a lot, and I have never seen a captain stand outside the plane and greet passengers as they come on the plane. Do you do that like every flight? He's like, yeah, every time. He's like, well, that's great, but like, why do you do that? And here's what the pilot said, him, said to him. I fly planes, but I serve people. If I ever forget that, I should get a different job. Jesus says, in my kingdom, that's the person I'm looking for to lead. Those will be the only ones, actually, who will get to lead. I lead like that. Learn from me. That's qualification number one, friends, is that spirit of service, that proven experience. Here's the second one. Verse 28, he says, you have stayed with me in my time of trial, and so now I grant you the right to sit at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones. You stayed with me. I don't know if we really take in that during, like, the entire active adult ministry of Jesus Christ, people are hunting him down, plotting against him, setting up people to, like, try to catch him up in saying something wrong so they can report him. People hate him. So it means a lot to him that these people have not. And so he says to them, you, you've stayed with me. A lot of people don't. They didn't in Jesus' day. The Bible is painfully honest. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And let's not forget, one of the people who hears Jesus say, you will sit on thrones is Judas who decides, yeah, I'm out of here. I'll at least get some money out of this thing. Now, friends, in our day, staying with Jesus is not getting easier. It's getting harder, in my opinion. In 1976, the bicentennial year, 91% of Americans identified as Christian in one way or another. 91%. Now, 64%. That's not that long of a time. To reign with Christ when he comes in glory, we must stay with him now. Even when it's hard and even when it means it gets harder. There's a reason why Jesus had as one of his famous sermons, blessed are you when you're poor for my sake, when you're mourning because of me when you're persecuted because you're identified with me. But here's the blessing he says you will receive, and we will if we stay with him. You will inherit the earth. I'm remaking the earth. You're going to be here to enjoy it. The kingdom is yours. Well, I've covered a lot, but let me recap. 
you are destined for the throne. To lead then, love now. To reign then, remain with Christ now. One of my mentors, Fred Smith, used to say, time is the on-ramp to eternity. This is where we pick up speed and get used to how things are going to be and what we're going to need then. Are we working on love? Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest theologians America's ever produced, said that in the kingdom of God, there's going to be a hierarchy. So those of us who were expecting something very flattened, sorry to disappoint you. But, if, if, if he's right, but uh, what's going to be different is that in the kingdom of God, the hierarchy is going to be based on something different than it is now. Okay. So we're used to a hierarchy where people get ahead, sometimes by skill and hard work, sometimes by opportunities we didn't have, but a lot of times because they also have connections or they're very good politically or no one knows how to stop them, whatever it may be. Well, in God's kingdom, the hierarchy is based on love. The people who will be higher up will be those given that authority because they're the most loving They've served with the most sacrifice. So what does that mean? All of a sudden, hierarchy, which for us is, is usually a bad experience, it doesn't sting. Think of the kindest, most wonderful person you've ever known. Think of the best boss you've ever had. Now meld those two. And then purify it to the nth degree. You want someone like that to be over you because they're only going to be there for your best interest. They're going to protect you. They're going to have your back. They're going to invest in you. You'll want to be near that person. You'll feel like serving them is an honor. You know what I've discovered? Whenever I ask somebody, can you take Bishop Todd to the airport or pick him up? I never have a problem. Because it's what? It's considered an honor. Not only because of his position, but because Bishop Todd is a really nice guy. He actually lives like a Christian. Now, and this hierarchy of love explains why the one who will be in the highest place, the one who will forever be called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is Jesus Christ. No one has loved as he has. No one has served as he has. No one has stayed faithful to God despite everything he went through like he has. And he's saying, you and you and you, you will sit at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones. Amen.